Let's Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome, everyone. Today joining me is Brad Shawkind, and we're going to be recording a wonderful series called The Pandemic in Review, a look at lessons unlearned. Now, Brad is a behavioral specialist, a coach, facilitator, and speaker. He works with business leaders around the world, helping them to be consistently innovation-ready and to create exceptional employee experiences that translate into meaningful innovation, constant relevance, and significant revenue. He walks his talk as a leader, entrepreneur, and innovator, and is currently an active shareholder in businesses across numerous sectors, which include technology, real estate, fashion, and learning consultancies, to name a few. So as we start looking back on the pandemic through our conversations, what became clear to Brad is that there were some significant lessons that went unlearned. And through the six-part series, we'll be discussing these and what Brad refers to as the opportunities that we missed, and most importantly, how organizations can strive to do better as we move into a hybrid world of work. So welcome, Brad. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That was great and quite a lengthy description. Would you just (laughs) care to introduce yourself perhaps in a less formal way? Less formally, yeah. I'm somebody who... If we were talking in a professional context, I'm somebody who is obsessed about the fact that the world of work doesn't need to suck. It can be an awesome place based on the fact that it's the thing people wake up in the morning to go and do and spend the bulk of their time at. So I think that we all have an obligation to make it as good as we can for ourselves and for the people around us. And that's what I, I speak about, I study, I teach. I think about at night. I said in the professional context, but I guess that goes with me everywhere. So that's just a little bit about what we'll be chatting about here. That's my best descriptor for myself. So today we're really focusing on part one of our series, and that is really, did we learn nothing? First of all, in the introduction, we just stated, you you feel that the pandemic has left us with a lot of lessons unlearned. Give us a little bit more background. What makes you say that? We're now, if we were to put a calendar to it, we're over two and a half months, sorry, two and a half years into a world that has been impacted by COVID. It's a world that we were suddenly, depending which country you're in, we were suddenly told to go home. And I don't think that we necessarily have adapted. I think what happened is that we've been through what I call a forced adjustment. We were given no choice. We had to, within a couple of days, work out how to navigate the dynamics of this new world that we were in, or this different world. It was not a new world, it was a different world. And that's as human beings, that's as as colleagues, that's as businesses, that's as business leaders, that's as educators, as parents. Everybody had these different moving parts that we had to learn to work with. And my, my feeling is that there were so many opportunities for us to explore how we've been doing things for decades. And to think about, okay, well, hold on, how do we do these things differently and better? And I don't mean, oh, let's just have meetings on Zoom. I don't think that's adaptation. We had no choice. We were using technology anywhere. We were on Skype. We were using WhatsApp video. We just started using new platforms and more. But that wasn't adaptation. I think we now, 
and we've had an opportunity to start to think about where is the human race at? What is the current human need state? How have people really and fundamentally changed? What is going on in the world? What is going on in the consumer environment? What is going on in education? And how do we tap into that? How do we start to create for that? But with an intention to make the world a better place? Because what happened, I found during COVID is there was a greed crept in and it was, how can we capitalize on this? And we saw this, lots of people went, uh, lots of people suffered, lots of people lost a lot, and lots of people became very, very wealthy. But what was missing, I found, was abundance, was generosity, was kindness. And ultimately, we all move forward as humanity when we practice abundance, kindness, generosity. And I don't mean at the expense of revenue, at the expense of progress, at the expense of profitability. It's in addition to. And I think that's where the opportunities lie. I think that's where there's a a gap to become even more purpose-driven and to be starting to look for ways to really adapt. I think that's where continuity is going to live. I think that's where business relevance and sustainability is going to live. But we need to become intentional around that. And I don't think we are even close. I think we're now feverishly and enthusiastically going back to the way things were before. But then have we learned nothing? I was traveling last week. I left Johannesburg and I went to London for most of the week. And you could have sworn that this was London of two and a half years ago. There was not a mask in sight. And I'm not saying we need to go back to being a mask society, but there was no caution being exercised. There is currently a spike in infection and it's okay. It's okay. We're not paying any attention to that. The ways of working haven't changed. Everything is literally, I couldn't spot a single thing that said to me, okay, there's been some learning from what we as humanity have been through. I cannot, I cannot, I could not identify one single shift two and a half years later in one of the most busiest dynamic cities in the world. Nothing has changed. And that for me is disconcerting because we had a gap to be better. What does better look like? And that's the opportunity that I'm screaming and shouting about. How do we be? I'd like to get into that, into the next question, which is really what, in your opinion, what we should have learned. But before we get into that, from my perspective, especially when it comes to London, aren't they currently trialing the four-day work week? And that seems to have been born out of the pandemic and people's need for more work-life balance. So was that not apparent when you were there? Not apparent at all. And not apparent in the conversations I was having with people in the sessions I was running. There was very definitely <laughs> scheduled stuff in my calendar for Friday and for Monday, depending which side of the week you look at the four-day work week being scheduled. And it's, but even then, if we think about the four-day work week's not a new concept, it's something that's been in play way before COVID came along, and it's being resisted hard. And I'm working with organizations in various countries who've been experimenting this with us. I've even tried it myself. It was a fantastic idea. The problem is that I was on board. I was very happy to give myself a, a three-day weekend. It's something I really do believe in. It dialed up my own intensity around how I use the four days that I do work. The problem is a lot of the people that I engage with and that I contract with are working either one of the days that, that I would choose to give myself off, whether it's a Friday or a Monday. There's no consistency. And then the problem is, okay, do I want to not be able to engage with them on those days, especially when it's paid engagement? How firm is the boundary that I'm going to put up around my four-day work week? And what is the impact of that on my business? And I think that is a big conversation for me in terms of you asked about what should we have learned? I think that boundaries are a lesson we should have taken away as in the behavioral context. I think boundaries is a 
huge lesson that, that we haven't learned. I am definitely seeing more people exercising slightly firmer boundaries in terms of what they will and won't accept and tolerate from behavior from other people, from organizations, from leaders, but nowhere nearly enough to create the ground soil that says, okay, this is now something we do differently. And I think that in the space of things we should have learned, and the list is extensive, but one of the first things is to actually demonstrate care for the people opposite us in terms of what really matters to them. I think that it's been a great story that many organizations have told, that many leaders have told, that they're patting themselves on the backs for and celebrating. But I don't think that the walking of the talk is there. I don't think it, it's authentic. I think it's a nice to hear because that's what feels right. But if you ask the people who are on the receiving end of that, the stories I'm hearing consistency and bearing in mind, I work with organizations predominantly at the senior leadership level, at the C-suite, at the ownership, at the CEO, and then at senior management level. But I do get to engage a lot with the people who are individual contributors into those organizations and who are at a more of an operational level, because that's a lot of where we do our fact finding to find out what's going on in organization. What are the culture dynamics? What are the things we need to know in order to best impact and guide the leaders in those businesses? And that's where we get to hear the truth. That's where we get to hear what's really hap happening. That's where we also get to hear how disillusioned and how biased the leadership lens is in terms of what they've actually achieved, what they've actually committed to, and what they have actually changed. And so that for me is one of the starting things that I don't believe we've learned. Um, I don't believe we've legitimately learned how to care and walk our talk around that story for other people. And by care, if we get practical about it, what does that mean? What if for the past two and a half years, if people have experienced a better work-life balance, if we can call it that, by being able to stay at home. And this is a massively controversial conversation, obviously. Should we be at home? Should we be back in the office? And I think that it needs to be a very individually approached dynamic. I'm seeing organizations who are now enforcing and everyone back to the office full-time. That's what the new story is. It was, and everyone back to the office two days a week or three days a week or different teams on different schedules. And there were all sorts of moving parts around this. And now organizations are coming with a, well, we don't want to lose the way we did things before the pandemic. It was all about creating connection. It was all about building trust. And we do these things in a building together. And we've got to get back to that. Yet the people in the organization are pushing back and saying, but our results demonstrate that we've been more successful. We've delivered better transactional outputs. We are more profitable in the things that make us sustainable than we were before COVID happened. We did this by being at home. We did this by having more access to our kids. We did this by having not having to sit in traffic. We did this by all those benefits that they achieve by being at home. Why now are you forcing me to come back to a place that doesn't make me as happy as being around my children and my partner, for example, does? Why are you forcing me to sit in traffic for X amount of hours a day? And hold on a second, I know you're telling me that we built connection and we built trust by being sitting opposite each other. But the bad news is I didn't trust the people that were around me before as it is. We needed to be working harder to create trust, whether in the room or, the, or remotely. It's I didn't feel safe in the office environment, irrespective. So now why do I need to come back to that when I am healthier and happier with the way things are and I am delivering? So there, another key learning is listening to the messages 
I don't think that we're learning, we've learned to listen. I think that we could talk a lot about leaders and leadership, and I think we probably will during the course of this conversation. But I think that leaders are pandering back to their own comfort zones. It's hard. This is hard. This is very hard work. And it means growth and development is required. It means a serious growth mindset is required. And I'm just not seeing that leaders are wanting to do that work. We all know that the hard work of leading is the humaning piece. It's easy to chase objectives and targets and become highly transactional. It's in the hard work of humaning that leaders need to really get their hands dirty. But that is what leading is. It's the stuff around the humans. And yeah, I think that the pushback from leaders is the mindset that it's easier for me to herd the sheep when they're all in one room together or when they're all under one building together and I can see them and I can lead that way as opposed to the hard work of creating connection remotely. And there's another lesson. We haven't learned. We haven't done the hard work. We haven't done the homework on how do I create deep connection even though we're not all sitting in a room together. And this is probably one of the biggest things. How do I demonstrate care? How do I create deep connection? And how do I measure performance? How do I let people know what's expected of them in terms of their impact? Not because I can now track how long their bum was in the chair or how long I could see them sitting in the huddle in the office for, but tangible, legitimate impact. But again, that's hard work. And leaders, a lot of the time, I find avoid the clarity around expectation and impact because with that comes accountability. If it's crystal clear, then everybody is accountable, including me. And accountability is not a happy place for people who don't want to be accountable. And so this is where the cracks have appeared because these were the things that were required to create sustainable, high-performing, healthy teams and businesses during this, this dislocated, disconnected period of time that we've been through. But I don't think we've done the hard work. And I say this as a generalization because I have seen some incredible leadership and individual contribution around these themes, but it's been in the minority. It's not been the uh, the dominant theme. We're talking about leaders predominantly here because it is leaders that set the tone. I know that when the world moved into a different normal, because that's what I, what I refer to as a different normal, and we're now in a new different normal, moving back to the world as it might have been before, but it's different. I I got asked a lot when COVID happened and we were all, it was the 26th of March in South Africa, that we were told midnight on the 26th, you will stay in your houses and you will not move under threat of imprisonment. Now that's an extreme situation. And I had a lot of people, we had in our business, you're still human, we specialize in workplace advisory and in employee experience and needing for experience and innovation to relevance. So you'd think that we would have been extremely busy at this time because we have a lot of the answers to how do you do a lot of this stuff based on our research and based on what we learned from the incredible companies and leaders we work with. And we went from projects signed for three to five years into the future that we had worked for a long time to secure Within a period of a couple of days, we were down to zero. All of our projects had been cancelled because panic set in. Organizations weren't sure what was going to be happening. They needed to hang on to their cash was their mindset. And so cancel. And that's what happened. Even to organizations like ourselves, who at that time were probably the, the best place to assist. But what did happen was we decided to offer assistance just as out of the context of the relationships that we had with these organizations and leaders. And the question that I was asked the most 
during this time was Brad. What is the new leadership style? How do we lead? How do I lead? And I disappointed them with what I had available at the time and what I still have available two and a half years later. I said to them, I don't think anything's changed in terms of how you should be leading. I said all of the things that you should have been doing before as leaders and obsessing about getting right, creating a sense of safety, psychological safety, creating connection, creating clarity of expectation, communicating, demonstrating care. These things you should have been doing as leaders, even in the room together. And these are things you should be doing now. The only thing that has changed is the logistic. The only thing that has shifted is the dynamic. And if you understand this human connecting component, then those are the muscles that you need to be building. And they looked at me, a lot of them, with a pained expression on their face because what I hadn't tapped into in that moment was they were also going through their own uncertainty. They were also employees in their own, I don't know what's going on right now. And they were being asked to lead people who were in that state. So they had a double whammy in a way. They had to navigate their own mindsets and their own safety, insecurities, uncertainty. And they also had to hold the space for the people around them. And that was hard and it's remained hard. As I said, I've seen leaders get stuck in and say, okay, how do I balance? And they've asked for help. My, my personal work, the time spent in the first six months of COVID went much more to individual coaching. And even now I'm doing a lot of work with leaders around the leading dynamic in this different normal that we're in about personalized leadership, about demonstrating care, about holding the space for still delivering at a business level, but better humaning. The better humaning narrative really got dialed up. But to your question, they've resisted because it's hard work. It's easy to stay stuck in, but this is what's always worked for me. Why can't I just keep doing that? Unfortunately, relevance doesn't live in what got us here. What got us here is not going to get us there. And it's really important to start to separate the difference between what got us here that's going to continue to work and what's going to take us forward that we need to become better at. Also, a lot of leaders have been promoted into leadership contexts and environments because they're technically good at the work. You get promoted because you're technically good, but never develop real leadership competency, real leadership capability. And leadership largely gets tested under its greatest intensity when there's extreme pressure. When there's crisis, we had the greatest leadership crisis we've had in decades now. And so if that muscle hadn't been adequately built, there stood almost no chance of leading well under that pressure. But there was still the opportunity to do the work and say, what do I need to get good at fast? And how do I do it? Who do I ask for support? Because this is not a journey people could go on alone. And that's what the resistance is. There's uncertainty. It's hard. People are exhausted emotionally, intellectually, and physically. And it's when they can step back and just have a look at how am I doing? Where am I at? Because there are multiple expressions that come to mind. The one is you can't pour out of an empty tank. You've got to fill your own tank first. But if you don't do the work to fill your own tank, you've got nothing to give. And that'll get in the way of your willingness to lead and learn. And so I think it's really important to stop and check ourselves first and then make sure we're in a condition to be able to lead, to care, to give. And that would enable us to get past some of that resistance, to have a mindset and willingness, but it can't come from an empty tank. We have to leave it there.
David, I've really enjoyed that conversation. I'm looking forward to to part two when we delve into this a little bit more in more detail and really start looking at kind of the dynamics of where we find ourselves now. So just for those our listeners today, Brad, CEO of a company called Still Human, a workplace advisory which specializes in employee experience, leadership and innovation. As you've heard, he does some phenomenal work with leaders across the globe to drive human centricity throughout their organizations. This is something, of course, that every business should be looking at more closely. And Still Human will be launching their latest employee experience assessment, a better human learning process shortly. And if this is something that you'd like to know more about, you're welcome to contact Brad directly. 